Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. And it was just myself and Ann, and uh, Ann said, Dane, can you hear that? And I walked out of my office, and I walked into the lobby there, and I looked out on the porch, and there was this guy with no shirt on, very muscular, tats all over the place, just preaching up a storm to the parking lot. But the stuff that he was preaching was like, I would hear street preachers in Atlanta when I was in college that were on drugs, and it was just weird. And it, was, and, and it had a, a tinge or a tone of violence and anger in it. And he was, and it, it sounded like this. And then when he saw me and I turned around, and I, I walked out on the porch and he saw me, he all of a sudden calmed down and got very polite and his voice calmed. And, but then he just started talking all this nonsense. And I had a very powerful sense of the presence of evil in this guy. And I thought, oh boy, I didn't bring my gun. You know, I, I don't, um, it was that kind of deal. But you know, all I had to do was say, well, okay, um, you know, it's probably time for you to move along now. And he just did. He got on his bicycle and left, and I never saw him again. Satan doesn't attack us usually like that. He doesn't come at us with craziness usually like that. He just has to manipulate our own weaknesses and magnify our differences, and the job's halfway done. So that was what was happening in Corinth over preachers, over immorality, over litigation, over gray areas. Now it's happening about the Lord's table. And so there's some particular divisions that Paul talks about that's happening at communion. The Lord's Supper that he refers to is kind of a feast, like a, like a potluck love feast, that, that they would have in churches, and, the, and then the whole thing would end with the ceremony that we call communion. And so he rebukes them, and he says, this is not the Lord's Supper. You guys have messed this up. This is your supper. This is not how this is supposed to be done. So in other words, you've messed it up so much that you ought not even call it communion anymore. And in verse 21, he says, each one of you goes ahead. The Corinthians met in what we would call house churches today. And the houses would have been owned by the more well-to-do people. Corinth was a wealthy, influential city in the Roman Empire. A lot of people lived there. But uh, so that the church would meet in some of the wealthier people's homes. And some of the church people would, be, would have been tradesmen. Some of the church people would have been slaves. There was no weekly, there wasn't a Sunday in, Rome, in, Rome, in the Roman world. There was no weekly day off. Everybody just worked every day. Um, and so most scholars agree that the Greek, church, uh, the Greek churches that were in that time often resembled Greek social clubs. Um, they were organized along that, along that principle. And that's why, for instance, when you're reading in the New Testament, sometimes you'll see the word bishop where you would think, oh, I, w I, I would expect to see the word elder there. 
And then other places you'll see the word elder. Well, that Paul would just use the word bishop in a Greek context and elder in a Jewish context. So a bishop was an overseer of a Greek club, and that was all fine and good. What was not good was that those clubs often had clear divisions that reflected the socioeconomic divisions in the community. So if you were a wealthy person and you didn't necessarily have to work, you could, you know, you're going to have this feast, but other people couldn't come until the end of their workday. And I don't know about you, but I start getting hungry about 4.30 in the afternoon. And it's, you know, I don't usually make it until we eat dinner at six. Krista and I joke with each other. Now we eat with the blue hairs. You know, we eat at five o'clock and 5.30 in the afternoon. But um, uh, no offense to our older. <laughs> I'm there, you know, 62. So, uh, and so the wealthier people could arrive earlier than the tradesmen and the slaves and they would fill up the small, there would be a small private dining room in one of these houses, and then there would be an outer courtyard, courtyard, still inside the house, but it's not the private dining room. And that would sort of force the latecomers to be out there in the, in the courtyard. And the wealthier people could probably bring more and better food and better wine. And apparently what they were doing where they were eating the potato chips and drinking the wine before anybody else got there and filling up and getting drunk before their poorer brothers and sisters could even show up. And so then when they did show up, some of them with very little to share because they were not wealthy people. Most of the food was gone and they went hungry because the really important people were fat and happy and drunk. And so Paul's bottom line is, you are causing divisions in the church by double humiliating your brethren. First, you are excluding them from your fellowship by not waiting and asking them to join you in the private dining room. That's humiliating, and it tells them they don't belong. And second, you're selfishly stuffing yourself while they go hungry. And that's humiliating too, because it tells them they're not very important to you. So in verse 22, Paul says, and I'm supposed to approve of this? Are you kidding? Let me make two things clear. You have homes to eat and drink in. If you have an abundance and you don't want to share, stay home and eat there. But don't go to a church meeting and humiliate your brothers and sisters by being exclusive and selfish. When you do that, here's a key point. This was the hardest thing. It was the hardest thing to understand this part of 1 Corinthians 11, for the longest time. But here's a key point. When you do that, you are despising the church of God. You're doing more than being selfish. You're doing more than humiliating your poor brothers and sisters. You are despising the very body of Christ by your actions. You are showing disregard for your brothers and sisters. You are being factious. That's the word divisions there. The Greek word actually literally translates factious, which I, I make divisions. I'm separating. You know, my group is cooler than your group. That's what a faction is. So what's he basing that on? Well, he's basing it on the Lord's table. This is kind of like the time the legendary football coach Vince Lombardi, when his team lost really badly, and he, he was so disgusted with them, when he started the next practice, he called them all in, he holds the football up, and he says, gentlemen, we're going back to basics. 
this is a football. You know, so that's what Paul is having to do with these guys. He's calling them in, calling them in and he's saying, we're going back to basics here, guys. I want you to understand what this supper is. It is a remembrance and it's a proclamation. This is verses 23 through 26. These are the ones that we're also familiar with. When we do communion, these are the ones we usually quote, 23 through 26. It's a remembrance, verses 23 through 25. It's not just a history lesson. It's acting out and entering into the events. When I was in the 11th grade, um, one of my high school teachers, a history teacher, did a great thing for us. He had us read a historical novel called The Winds of War by Herman Woke. Some of you may remember that. And I got into World War II history reading that book. I now have a whole collection of World War II books. It's, I, I constantly go back there for entertainment, enjoyment. I was reading one uh, on a beach trip recently. But I entered into the story because it's, it's a well-documented and very accurate but fictional telling of one family's journey all through World War II, the Henry family. You enter into the story when you read it, when you read it in a, a novelized way much more so than if you're just reading a history book that's recording facts for you. When the Jews celebrated Passover, they didn't just retell the story. They entered into the experience. They had very clear and specific things that they would do in a ritualized way in their homes. When we celebrate communion, we are participating in a vivid reenactment of the cross in these symbols. We don't just read about the bread or hear about the bread or look at the bread. We take the bread. We don't just read about the cup or look at the cup or kind of think about the cup. We drink the cup. We are entering into the act of the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We lift it up. So old and young, rich and poor, male and female, slave and free, educated, uneducated, mentally ill, mentally strong, emotionally intuitive and concrete rational, PhDs and post-hole diggers, each one of us enters into the moment of salvation when we participate in this bread and in this cup. When all of our sins were paid for and we experience it again like it was new. One of the things that I did uh, on my sabbatical year was I, would, I went and visited lots of churches, and one I really wanted to go to was an Anglican church over in Richmond that a Facebook friend belongs to. And, you know, grew up Southern Baptist, never been an Anglican, uh, but these guys at least have their doctrine right. They're not, they're not the ones that lost their doctrine, okay? We won't go there, but these are Anglicans. And one of the things that I appreciated about their service that was strange to me, strange in the sense that I didn't grow up doing it, um, it, was they have such a singular focus on Christ. And part of it is because they have the, uh, the liturgy and the, the bread and the cup every Sunday. And I was just impressed with that singular focus on Christ. And it really, really helped me to think about Christ and not me. So I'm thinking about all of this, and I can hear Paul rebuking to these guys, rebuking these guys, because you're, 
when you're doing this, you're, you're totally in the experience of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and we're all doing it together, and it's all about Christ atoning for our sins and opening up the gates of heaven for us. And Paul's saying, and you want to be exclusive? And you want to be inconsiderate? And you want to hold yourself out as maybe like you're better than one of your brothers or sisters because you're more sophisticated or you're more wealthy or you're more spiritual. You aren't going to share your table or your food with your brothers in Christ. And I'm, you want me to praise you for this? Are you kidding? Certainly not. So that's a lot of explanation. And so we ought to pause. And we've already had one of these moments already this morning. And I'm so grateful for uh, Glenn's leadership and, and his humility. But am I behaving in a selfish and exclusive manner towards my brothers and sisters in Christ? And that's a question all of us have to ask ourselves. And we ought to ask it at least every time we take communion, but probably more. So if I arrived first at a, at a potluck dinner, <clears throat> would I and a few of my friends eat all the white meat and mashed potatoes and gravy in the house at the dining room table and just leave the wings and a few green beans out on the picnic table for the lesser believers outside? So Paul, we need to ask ourselves, am I behaving in a selfish and exclusive manner towards my brothers and sisters in Christ? So then Paul goes on to mention something um, our branch of Christianity doesn't emphasize very often, that the table preaches the gospel. The table preaches the gospel. That's verse 26. The Lord's Supper is a sermon. It's a sermon in the symbols. The bread is his body. We take it. We proclaim that we identify with his death. We say by eating it, his death is my death. That's what we're saying. The cup is his blood. It's his of the covenant blood. It, it wasn't just that he got up there on the cross and died and shed his blood. His blood was the of the covenant blood. His blood is what makes the covenant that atoned for all of our sins. It sealed the covenant. We take the cup, and by taking it, we say, His covenant with God is my covenant. I'm drinking it in. It's internalized to me. That's what it's about. His blood was shed for me. So you put the two together, and we're saying by this action, Jesus Christ is my life's food and drink. That's what he is. Jesus said it like this, totally confusing the people of his day. John chapter 6, verse 56 and 57. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So I think, I think most of us understand that. If you don't, I invite you to bow your head when we close this sermon. Bow your head and say, Lord, I want to know what that guy was talking about. 
I want to know you. I want to know you internally. I want you in my soul and in my life. I want all of you and I want you to have all of me. But let me just kind of exaggerate the circumstances a little bit. How are we doing? Oh, we're good. Um, let's say that we move this table out there to the median on 501, out there in the grass between the north and southbound lanes of 501. And we want to proclaim the gospel, right? We want to do it in, by this symbolic taking of the Lord's Supper together. We want to testify to our, identif our identification with Christ and His church, and we want to reenact the great event that started it all. So we're going to move it out on the highway where everybody going up and down the highway can see us. But we're just not willing to wait for everybody to get out there. I mean, you know, if you don't get to KFC before the Methodist, you're probably not going to get the best pieces of chicken. So we don't wait. We go ahead, we rush through, and some of, some of our brothers and sisters are still trying to cross the street. And then when they get over there, hardly anything's left. The ceremony's over. What does that say to the world? What that says to the world is, look at all these silly people out here running around on the highway. I mean, they're, it sure is crazy. But what happens if we all get out there and we're all around the table and we all have our elements and as the cars are going by, as one body, we take and eat and we bow our heads. As one body, we take and drink. That's a message in the symbols. And they might not know what it means, but they're sure going to be interested to find out. So let's, um, let's do some practical applications on this, and, and I'll wrap up. Have you ever watched a flag burning? You ever watched, you know, the, like the Iranians, they want to burn American flags, things like that? What do they usually do? Well, before they set it on fire, they'll usually throw it on the ground and stomp on it. So what is that telling us? It's a very symbolic act, right? It means we are dishonoring everything that your flag stands for. We're dishonoring your constitution, your leadership, your government. We're dishonoring you as best we know how. Very powerful symbolic act. So when Paul says whoever takes the, the, the bread and the cup in an, in an unworthy manner... What's he mean by that? Well, we have traditionally taken it to mean that anyone who is wrestling with some personal sin in his or her life should not participate. That's what we've traditionally taken it to mean. But the context for Paul's comments is all of verses 17 through 22. And the word literally translates to unworthily. And in verse 29, he clarifies it without recognizing, or the New International says discerning. If you're taking it in an unworthy manner, by which he means without recognizing or discerning the body, what's he talking about? He's referring back to all that behavior that he just outlined in verses 17 through 22. All that divisive, exclusive, 
you know, arrogant behavior that he was talking about there. He said, if you're acting like that towards the body of Christ, that's what he means when he says, if you're not discerning the body, then you are eating judgment on yourself. It means to take the meal with disregard for everything that it stands on, that it stands for. Disregard for Christ, disregard for his, the cross, disregard for his body and his blood. That's what it means. So to come into church with sins on your conscience, which need to be confessed, is to come into church like every other person in the room who ever walked in a church building. But to come into the Lord's table harboring selfish, inconsiderate, divisive attitudes or holding grudges against another member or in arrogance looking down on economically or even spiritually inferior members is to sin not only against Christ's spiritual body, the church, but against his physical body broken on the cross. And it is to sin against his blood which established the church. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23, 24, that Glenn quoted earlier, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Don't worship until you're reconciled. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. In verses 28 and 29 says, therefore examine yourself. So let's examine ourselves. Number one, do you have a genuine faith in Christ? Have you taken the death of Christ for your sins and the life of Christ as your own? That's the doorway to eternity. Eternity happens right now. It's not something that happens when you die. I've been studying the book of Revelation recently, and um, the biggest thing that hits you is right in the very first chapter of the book of Revelation. John says, I was worshiping, I was in the spirit one day, and, and, and I heard a voice, and behind me I looked, and an open door. Just an open door, guys. I mean, it's, it's right there, you just can't see it. Eternity is right there. So do you have a genuine faith? The table of Christ is open to all who believe that Jesus lived, that he died for your sins, and that he is Lord of your life. It's open. Number two, are you living a Corinthian-like life? Are you holding yourself aloof from others, pretending to yourself that somehow you're better? Are you living in selfishness toward those who are less fortunate or sowing discord and division? Are you despising the church for whom Christ died? Is there anyone in this room this, today or who's a member of this church that you could not look in the eye and shake hands with and say, I love you? Number three, are you suffering from an affliction of body or mind that has no recognizable source and will not leave you alone? 
Could it be that it arises as God's discipline in your life to help you humble yourself and start to reconcile yourself with others in the body? Well, like I said, I think we're on the way to that this morning already. And I'm grateful for that. But it won't hurt us to take a moment and pause and think about this before we take the cup, and the bread and the cup. So let's bow and pray. Examine yourself. Do you have genuine faith? Examine ourselves. Are we living like a Corinthian? Examine ourselves. Are we suffering from an affliction of body or mind that has no recognizable source and will not leave you alone? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning a humbled um, body of believers. And um, we ask for your help. We ask for your help in our personal lives. We know how inadequate we are and um, how quick we are to just uh, maybe start off a day really good and then by the end of the day <laughs> ready to cuss anybody that gets in our way we confess our sins and our need not just daily but hour by hour for you uh, to heal us of our own hurts and brokenness to uh, deliver us from our own flesh that leads us into evil and to make us ministers of reconciliation and peace with one another and with your world. So we pray as we, um, as we uh, stitch up our wounds as a body and um, uh, nurse ourselves back to health. We pray, Father, that you would pour in the oil of your spirit 
and that you would do a miraculous thing in this place, filling it so much with your love and your joy and your peace and your kindness, um, that you could reignite this beacon uh, for Halifax County. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.